0: If you have your Bible, you can go with me to Isaiah 44 tonight. So far in this series on on the, on the on rest for God's people, we've seen here in Isaiah, illustrated for us through how God, uh, God has instructed and encouraged His chosen and beloved people, Israel, that there is rest for God's people. There is, and when we think of rest for God's people, I'm thinking of, the confidence God's, God gives us that we, can, that we can confidently live knowing that God is in control, that we serve a sovereign God who, who plan, orders our steps and plans our days and, and intends all things for our good and for His glory. And we can see it in the way that He speaks to His beloved people, Israel. There is rest for God's people because God gives His people hope God gives His people confidence. And we have this rest, and having this rest, this uh, having this confidence and hope gives us this rest in Him because He promises rest for all who trust in Him. Uh, we have it in His Word again and again. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your, on your own understanding. Those kinds of truths remind us that God has rest for us when we lean on Him, lean on His wisdom his truth and we can trust in him because he shows us clearly who he is we are blessed in that we have a god who does not hide himself from us in that in that he does not keep himself from us by not not telling us who he is he does reveal himself to us in his word and so there's rest for god's people because we worship and serve the one true god There's also rest for God's people because we are assured by God that we have His eternal presence. He will never leave us or forsake us. We saw that last week. Now tonight, what we're going to see in the passage before us is that there is rest for God's people because there's a Redeemer, and God is our Redeemer. God redeems His people. God is a Redeemer for His people. A Redeemer, think about what a Redeemer does. A Redeemer buys back something that was once His own. Uh, You shouldn't normally have to buy back something that's your own, should you? Especially if the one who's the owner is also the creator of the universe. The idea of a Redeemer is seen throughout the Bible. Isaiah is going to bring that idea into clear focus for us tonight as we look at verses uh, 21 through 26 and Isaiah 44. Are you in Isaiah 44? Maybe I didn't send you there earlier, but let's look at it together. Isaiah 44, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 26. Isaiah forty four twenty one. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by Myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of His servant and fulfills the counsel of His messengers, who says of Jerusalem, She shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah they shall be built, And I will raise up their ruins. Now, the fact that God makes clear to His chosen and beloved people, Israel, that they have a Redeemer shows how much God loves wayward Israel. They had not followed God, had they? They they had not always obeyed Him. It just shows us how much He loves His chosen. They are truly His beloved, and through them we see how much He loves us. And through, through Christ, we know through the New Testament teachings of, of Christ's coming and being born and living a sinless life and then going to the cross for our sins, how much God loves us. You know, if you're redeeming something, you're going to have to deal with the cost. But the Redeemer pays the cost, gladly, because He's very much in favor of bringing back what was His. He very much wants the redeemed object back. He loves what He is redeeming so much that He's willing to go after that, and He's willing to give dearly to win that item back. That's what we see in God. He's willing to do whatever it takes to bring His people home again. I wonder if when you look at your life, you can recognize as you look back through your, your time as a believer, maybe, maybe you've been a believer for many years, and you can think of the times when God has been patient with you, when you weren't doing what His Word taught you to do. You knew what you should be doing, you weren't doing it, and yet God was patient with you. How grateful we ought to be that God is patient with us. You know, examine many of the world's religions and you're going to find that this redeeming love is unique to our one true God. He pursues His people. He pursues them with an unfailing love. This this redeeming love is what we see in action when God draws a sinner to Himself. Think of that. When an unbeliever has eyes that are finally opened and finally trusts in Christ and confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is because God has drawn that person to Himself. John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what happens when God redeems His people? I want you to think about this tonight. What happens? uh, Three things uh, we see here in the text. What happens when God redeems His people? First, I want you to note that the Redeemer forgives His people. Think of that. The Redeemer forgives His people. The Redeemer doesn't redeem and then set off to punishing and scolding. The, The Redeemer, as we see here in the text, forgives Praise God, our Redeemer forgives our sins. Look at verses 21 and 22 again. It says, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud. And your sins, like mist, return to me, for I have redeemed you. Boy, the spiritual grace being implied in verse 22 is forgiveness of sins. That is, that is our God. He, he forgives our sins. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, says verse 21, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. That's interesting, isn't it? Basic. It's basic and fundamental to the work of the Redeemer is, is, is forgiveness. But yet he reminds them, I made you and you're my servants. That's not how people think. That's not how we earthly people think, is it? That's, if, if, if we had a servant, we don't have servants anymore, do we? But if we had, let's say we had an employee, that person... That person is to follow our instruction and do what we tell them to do each day. But what we see going on here is forgiveness of sins, not something, uh, not something where God is scolding and punishing the one who needed to be redeemed, but He's wooing them back, saying, I want you to, I want you to follow Me. I want you to enjoy My forgiveness. Here, for our Redeemer, there is no redemption if if the Redeemer is not willing to forgive. And God says here to His people Israel in verse 21, You will not be forgotten by Me. That's a precious note to sound, isn't it? You will not be forgotten by Me. Then in verse 22, I have blotted out your transgressions and sins. And we see here the grace of God on full display. I want you to note whom He is forgiving. According to verse 21, I noted it earlier, God says, You are my servant. He says it twice. You are my servant. Note whom also He is forgiving. I created you. God's created beings, God's servants. You are my servant, He says twice. I formed you. I made you. I'm your creator. How gracious God is. That ought to encourage us with the grace of God that He shows us through Christ. God is our Creator. He doesn't have to redeem us. He doesn't have to shower His love on us, but He chooses to. So gracious that He is willing to wipe away the sins of His wayward created beings who were meant to serve Him, and bring Him glory, honor God with their lives. That's not how we people on earth operate. No, you know, think about it. When you've been wronged operating in the flesh, you want to get even. (laughs) Or you at least want to hold it against that person and kind of make them pay for a long time. But that's not our God, is it? God demonstrates something totally different. In fact, God now calls all of his children to learn to forgive the way he forgives. And this is instructive to us here because what we see in God, he wants to see in his children. Uh, in fact, listen to Ephesians 4.32. That it, it tells us how there, how God wants us to forgive. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. What should follow tender heartedness? Forgiving one another. And then, in case we need this reminder, as God in Christ forgave you. God says, don't be like the world. Be like, be like your Redeemer. We also learn from God's redemption of His way, wayward and, and sinful created beings that He will forgive even before we've stopped being rebellious and obstinate. And that's also how God calls us to learn to forgive people who wrong us. That's hard for us, isn't it? Uh, Again, if someone has wronged us, we want them to see that they were wrong. We want them to come to us and, and ask for forgiveness. And then maybe we'll think about forgiving them. But that's not how God operates. And that's not how God wants His children to operate. First, God says to Israel that He has, look at verse 21 again, Blotted out their transgressions and sins. God will not remember their sins. Guess whose who who also uh, whose sins will not be remembered by God. Ours, if we've trusted in Christ, God will not remember our sins. If we go back one chapter to Isaiah forty-three, we hear this clearly, verse twenty-five: I. I am he who blots out your transgressions and there's an interesting statement here for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. That little statement, for my own sake. Who gets the glory when God is gracious and blots out our sins? God gets the glory. God is magnified. And we hear God there in Isaiah 43 verse 25, I am he who Lots out your transgressions, and I will not remember your sins. Can God actually forget? Can God actually forget? no, no, God forgets nothing. He knows everything, but the idea here is that God chooses not to remember now, when God talks about forgetting it 's not like we forget, or at least like not like I forget. <laughs> I forget all kinds of things. But God doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. You realize that we can actually do the same thing? Again, what God shows us is how He wants His children to operate. We can do the same thing, though it's hard for us. And it's hard for us because we're still dealing with the flesh. We're still dealing with our own sinfulness. We're still dealing with... uh, the plank and that speck problem, right? Where we, where we see someone's problem and we want to solve it, and yet we have our own sinfulness to deal with at times. And we also struggle because we seem to not be able to forget the wrongs and hurts that people have done to us. But we can choose to not hold it against them. We can choose to be like our God who redeems us and then forgets our sins chooses not to remember our sins or hold them against us we can choose not to let a relationship be ruined we can choose that now this is how the bible describes how god treats our sins in psalm 103 and verse 12 and how he would have us treat those who sin against us. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Isn't that remarkable? And, And that's what God calls His people to. He calls us to live that way in this world where there is no real forgiveness, is there? There's only this idea of getting even or holding it against people who wrong you. But in forgiving our sins and blotting out our transgression, He removes our sins from us so that we don't get what we deserve. Where we in our fleshly nature want to give people what they deserve, God withholds what we deserve. That's wonderful. That's the amazing grace of God. He does that by removing the penalty of our sin, placing that penalty on Jesus Christ, at the cross, and we rejoice in that. It's what we remember as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning. And that points to the second amazing thing that happens when God's wayward and sinful created beings are redeemed by God. Think about this. When your sins are blotted out, they're not held against you. You can be free from the guilt and shame if God is not holding your sins against you. You can be free from guilt and shame that comes with your sins. There's no need for the redeemed to be burdened with guilt and shame. The slate is wiped clean. That's how God treats His chosen people Israel here. We can see it in the text before us, and that's just what God does for us when we trust in Christ. Think of the shed blood of Christ being offered for our sins And through that shed blood and through our faith in Christ, He sets us free. And because of the sacrifice of Christ, our sins are not held against us. That's something we ought to remember often. God is not holding my sins against me because He he poured out His wrath on the Lord Jesus Christ. Note also... There is rejoicing in heaven when sinners repent. So, what happens when God's people are redeemed? The Redeemer forgives, and there is rejoicing in heaven when sinners repent. Look at verse 23 again. You can see it here in verse 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. There's a powerful reminder here of how God's grace gives us much cause for joy. I believe that God's children on earth ought to be the most joyful people on earth. We have every reason to be joyful. We ought not be dreary and sad people. We ought to be joy-filled, overflowing with joy because of the grace of God shown on us. Do we face hardships and difficulties? Yes, we do. Do we find that we have strained relationships? Yes, we do. But if our faith is in Christ, we have been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. They are not being held against us. God has chosen to forget our sins. We can live without guilt and shame. How wonderful. We ought to rejoice with the angels in heaven (laughs) over God's grace on us. The redeemed. God loves His redeemed, uh, redeemed children so much that He works in their lives to bring them back to Him also when they sin. That's a powerful reminder here remember the father in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 remember what he does when he sees his son returning he is overjoyed and he throws a celebration he celebrates he runs to meet him and he makes a huge celebration and he gives his son a fresh start isn't that wonderful that's what God does with us when we turn to him through faith in Christ. And in Luke 15.10, the illustration of the prodigal son is explained when we're told, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Even the angels in heaven rejoice when we return to God. Now that's what we see here in Isaiah 44, verse 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified. The Lord will be glorified in Israel. What happens when God's people are redeemed? The Redeemer forgives, heaven rejoices, and next we see that God works powerfully on behalf of His redeemed people. We aren't left to our own devices and God's people, Israel, weren't left to their own devices. That's what we see in verses 24 through 26. God works on behalf of His redeemed people. God acts. He is not idle. Again, there's this reminder here in verse 24 that God created them. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer who formed you from the womb. Note how God acts on behalf of His created People, his redeemed people, his beloved people. In verse 25, verse 25 says, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. Think about this. God will ultimately thwart those who oppose his people. Now, at times we feel opposed, don't we? We feel... Uh, Persecuted uh, for our faith. Or you may have been wronged by someone who, it seems, is getting away with it. Who is it who will make all things right? It's not you. It's not me. It's God. God will ultimately thwart those who oppose His people. And God will confirm by bringing to pass what the prophets He sent foretold. God will not be mocked. God will act, and He will work on behalf of His people whom He has redeemed. We can rest in that. That's a wonderful reminder because at times we can be so frustrated with what's going on around us because we can't seem to put our hands on it and fix it and make it go the way we think it should go. And yet, if it's dishonoring God, if it's opposing God, if it's opposing God's people, God will have His day. He will not let those things escape His eye and His hand. And there's an important reminder here for us in this. When it seems like the world around us gets the upper hand in opposition to what God declares is right and wrong, and we see that often in our culture, we think, what in the world is going on? That is so anti-truth. That is so anti-God. That is so anti-Bible. How can they do that, we say? When that happens, we need not worry. God will have the final say. God will not be mocked. That's our Redeemer. God redeems His wayward children. And like a parent who restores their children, after they've disobeyed their commands, God restores us. It's wonderful to watch a parent with a disobedient child welcome that child back and give them a hug and set them on their way and set them right and set them on their way. But just think about how much love an earthly parent has for their child. And if an earthly parent restores an erring child because of their deep love for them, how much more will our Redeemer work even harder to restore us when we wander from Him. God loves us. God forgives us. And then God redeems us because there is no end to His love for us. Here's what Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Still sinners. Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to clean up our act. (laughs) God created us, and when we sin, He does not rest. He pursues those who are His own until He wins us back and fellowship is restored. And we know this because it's made clear for us again and again and again in the Bible. And we can see it in the New Testament through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for sinners. And we can see it through God's acts with the people of Israel. And throughout the Bible, we're given every reason to rest. Rest in our God as we see how gracious He is with His chosen people Israel. And to us now, whose faith is in Christ, who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Our Redeemer forgives. We've got to praise God for that. We have a Redeemer, and He forgives. And when He does, there is rejoicing in heaven. And God works powerfully on behalf of His redeemed people. That's our God. That's the one we worship. That's the one true God. He is our God. I trust He is your God. And He has given us His Word so that we can be encouraged and strengthened and given confidence to live in this day in which we live and to be able to live in this day and rest, knowing that He is in control. He is working. He is powerfully working on behalf of His redeemed people. And we ought to be the most uh, joyful people on earth because of these truths.